With the pandemic that came upon us, the rise of video conferencing tools like Microsoft Teams and Zoom has led to more aspects of the sales conversation to occur virtually. And what began as a crisis reaction has evolved into the new normal. But how normal is the new normal? We're talking about how the strong shift from in-person to virtual selling has transformed B2B sales experience. Virtual sales enablement, new organizations, KPIs, everything is evolving. In the Virtual Selling Podcast, we address these issues in depth twice a week with the experts and leaders of these transformations, heads of sales, sales ops, and sales enablement of the most innovative companies in the field. This podcast is sponsored by SalesDeck.io, the new SaaS platform to make your customer meetings more engaging and better prepared. Find out how you can shorten sales cycles, convert more leads, and increase customer engagement. Virtual Selling is here to stay, and so is SalesDeck.io. Hi, everybody. I'm happy to be with Brian Whittington today, founder of EBS Growth. How are you doing, uh, Brian? I'm outstanding. Thanks so much for having me on here today. Yeah, and you also are the host of the Talent Sales and Scale shows. That is true. That's true. We just dropped an episode yesterday and uh, very excited to, to bring some enterprise and talking about how to hire sales talent, how to scale the business and how to uh, really sell in this crazy environment. Great. Could you tell us a little bit about EBS? Sure. So EBS growth is our mission is this to help communities thrive through entrepreneurship. And one of the key things that you need to do in order to, to help communities to grow and thrive from entrepreneurship is oddly enough, be able to sell what you do. And most people, unfortunately, they don't know how to sell. And the way that people sell has changed over the years. So we do a couple of things. We help hire really good salespeople. We help organizations to be more effective, to be able to talk to more people than they do today. And then lastly, is to be able to lay out their whole entire sales motion. So whether that's their sales strategy, their methodology or sales structure. So we do those type of things. Great. So if I understand well, it could be a solution for sales deck also to, to find its market on the U, in the US. That would be a fun thing to do with, uh, to work with you. Yes. So you, you work with those kind of startups that are early stage until which size? Yeah, so we break it up in a couple of different areas, right, uh, Gabriel? One is, call it the build out, where you don't even know if you're, if you're on the right track, maybe you don't have a sales team. So it's working with the founder to make sure that we have product market fit, that we have right sales methodology, right uh, support of their go-to-market strategy. So it could be that whole entire build out phase. So messaging, identifying that ideal customer profile, and then really understanding those personas of why they would take action to change behavior. So that would be at that build out phase. Once you move past that, you know that you have good product market fit, maybe you're looking to hire. That's a second phase where we'd help you to identify instead of that ICP, that ideal customer profile, it's that ICP, the ideal candidate profile. And what's the risk factor that you're, you're um, buyer is going to go through. Are they entrepreneurial? Are they a lagging in, or a lagging group? Are they somewhere in between? So how do you identify that and build out your sales methodology to be able to scale up? And then the last phase would be now that you have that down, how do you put it into a RevOps? How do you identify the sales process automation? How do you scale this up to where you can make your sales team even more effective leveraging automation? So those are the really the three parts. And we tend to play 
as a fractional sales leader at that first and second part. At that third level, you now probably have a really robust VP of sales full-time or a CRO full-time and likely even a rev ops team to, behind you to support. So you intervene less in uh, those third phase, but more on the two first phase. Yeah, on the, on the last phase, it's more advisement, consulting, ensuring that that sales team is effective. So we have some tools that we can leverage. So we call it the sales effectiveness and improvement analysis. So we can identify how much of your sales team is good, which, which by the way, Gabriel, do you have any sense of, if you ask a sales leader or if you ask a founder and say they have a team of four, if you ask them, hey, how many of your people would you rehire today knowing what you know now? Any sense of how many uh, of those four or five people would be hired? Not at all. Yeah, it's, it's typically one. If you're lucky, two. So it's that bad out there. And then if you have teams of 20, 30 or more, that same ratio tends to apply. You're only gonna rehire about 20 to 25% of those people. So whenever they get to that larger phase, it's really identifying, okay, of those 75 to 80% that you would say that you wouldn't rehire today, knowing what you know now, how many of those are, can you save? Can you coach, mentor, and train up to the next step? So whenever they get to those larger phases, Gabrielle, that's where we start to work with them more on that training, coaching, mentoring of that sales team. And what is your saving ratio? Our saving ratio. So if they, so if we do an assessment on them, and if they show at a recommend level, we're ninety-two percent likely to be able to save those, unless if there's outstanding personal issues or something along those lines. However, if they come up with a non-recommend, 75% of the time, they're gone within six months. Yeah, okay. And, and this is really what, what, what you explained, that is the uh, variability of performance within a sales team with top performer on one side and low performer on the other side. Uh, how do you explain those, those kind of difference in terms of performance? because it's really an issue that we help to solve with sales deck. Uh, but for you and the analysis you have, why there is so much variety between top and low performer, sometimes it could be one to six. I have seen already customer with one to six difference, where having the top performer doing 40% conversion and the low performer only 6%. Yeah. So. Where we don't want to, what we don't want to have is a Pareto, Pareto principle within our sales team, right? We don't want 20% of our sales team to sell 80% of the revenue. And that's, that's not an ideal. So if you look at a salesperson, the way there's really three overall competencies that we're looking for, or overall three traits that we're looking for. One, do they have the will to sell? Two, what's their sales DNA? And three, how are they in terms of their selling competencies? And then each one of those three has some sub-steps. Would, would it be helpful to maybe share those competencies within those sub-steps of the three? Yeah, sure. And also, could you explain to me what is the sales DNA in your mind? Yeah, sure. So sales DNA is how are they 
Bill, just like each of us humans have a, a certain DNA that's going to give us our makeup as to whether or not we can be engineers or whether we could be salespeople, there's that certain DNA. Are you going to be a long distance runner or a sprinter? And that's what we look at the sales DNA. So the sales DNA, we're looking for these couple of things. One, they don't have a high need for approval. Now, it, it's crazy. So many people would rather be liked and they say things like, Oh, it's all about the relationship. Yes, you need a relationship. However, it's not about relationship. It's about building trust. And unfortunately, too many salespeople try to build a relationship. So they have a bunch of best friends, a really fat pipeline. They don't sell anything because sometimes to do well in sales, you need to challenge the current status quo to get a person to get off of that status quo and into making change, that change of behavior for them to do better. And they won't do that if they have that high need for approval. Um, the, the second thing that they need to do is be able to stay in the moment. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, Gabrielle, but oftentimes you're talking and you're thinking ahead of how to overcome an objection or what to say next instead of staying in the moment and really paying attention and listening intently to the person that you're talking to. So that's the ability to stay in the moment. So that's the other part of the sales DNA. The third piece is, uh, do they have supportive beliefs? Meaning, do they expect to win? Even whenever something is a challenge, do they have that confidence of a, I'm going to win? So it's not a supportive belief of, hey, today's great and tomorrow's even better, right? Those people are likely on drugs or need drugs. Um, but it's really that positive expectation of winning. And then also, believe it or not, a supportive buy cycle. How people purchase large ticket items will be a direct determinant of how they sell. So for example, what's high ticket in your world? If you're selling a $10,000, $50,000, million ERP, if 100 bucks is expensive to them, they're likely not going to be very comfortable in talking about those larger larger ticket value or larger ticket items. And also, if they're doing a ton of research and it takes them six months to buy a candy bar, being facetious there, but if it takes them a long time to buy a low value product, they're likely not going to push back terribly hard whenever somebody says, uh, you know what, let me think this over. And so we really need to make sure that they have a supportive buy cycle which lends to, are they also comfortable with discussing money? And if they re if and when they get rejected, do they recover quickly? So all of those things make up that sales DNA. And, and how do you challenge them on the subject? Or do you test that? Or, or do you make the assessment? Yeah, so part of the assessment is to test for that. But let's say, for example, because here's what I hate. Whenever somebody says, oh, do the assessment or buy this or buy that, let's pretend you don't want to. Let's give you some, some help to be able to do that. If you don't use the assessment, which you should, by the way, but if you don't use the assessment, then a couple of ways that you can do that is, so for example, uh, comfortable talking money. Ask them, I'm kind of curious, when you were growing up and you're at a picnic, when you were talking to your uncle or your aunt about the car that they purchased, how comfortable were you in asking them how much did it cost? Was that, you know, out of social norms or were you allowed to do that? And finding out their comfort level with talking about money or supportive bicycle, ask something along the lines of, hey, can you share with me your last big ticket item, your last big ticket purchase? 
one, what do you think is expensive to purchase something? And then two, can you walk me through from the second you thought about buying it to the second you bought it, it was in your house and you're using it, how long did it take and walk me through that process? So you can use behavioral interview questions, Gabrielle, to be able to ask those type of questions, but ideally you're gonna assess them for it so you can save the time whenever you are interviewing them to make sure they're a good culture fit, their mission aligned, their passion aligns with your mission and that their skills will align with what you need for the job. And so you have a, a dedicated tool to make the assessment, to ask a question. It's a questionnaire, it's a form, it's a... Yes, it's a, it's a pretty in-depth assessment to be candid with you. It would take, if you're a slow reader like me, it would take you about 40 to 50 minutes to go through the whole entire thing. But the, the, here's the interesting part of it. It's the only assessment out there. It's just for salespeople and uh, sales leadership. So that's all they do. If you're in engineering or anything else, I can't help you. But if you're looking to hire salespeople, it's been proven, validated, and it's the only one that's been validated. If we give you a recommend and it, you go through the whole entire process, they're 92% likely to be in the top half of your sales team within 12 months. Now, flip side of that, if you've hired somebody whenever we said don't, we don't recommend them, 75% of the time that hire, which was a non-recommend, is gone within six months. So it's a pretty robust, fairly predictive uh, tool to be able to leverage. So instead of lose, losing hundreds of thousands of dollars on a bad sales hire, because I mean, even bad salespeople tend to look good on paper and interview well. And when you hire them, it's really expensive. Avoid that. Take that X-ray, MRI. Make sure that whenever you do get a good hire or a new hire, it's going to be a good hire. Especially if you're a smaller team, you can't get it wrong because that wipes out your cash flow. It's six months to eight months, nine months uh, for an up for an on ramp for that new sales hire. Anyway, make sure they're good. Please, please, please. And and you have created do do you have created a tool to to make the assessment uh, for for or it's only through EBS that you could do it? Yeah, I I wish I was smart enough to have invented this, but it's a tool that we have in our team. So it's called the Objective Management Group or OMG, and okay. I'm a licensee to be able to leverage this. So certified uh, in how to use it, and we can also train your internal team how to leverage this tool and how to do the right interview questions. It's called STAR Hiring Tactics, and that's what we, we can help companies with. Okay, great. Okay, great. So so this is for the, the third stage of type of companies and also for the second stage. And for the first stage, it's more about marketing than about the sales team, if I understood well. Yeah, I would agree with that, right? Because at that first initial stage, whenever you're building this out, it's really incumbent upon that sales, or excuse me, that, that founder, co-founder, the owner to build this out, to test that ideal customer profile, to make sure that they can differentiate. What's that process? And so we really work with that, that founder to create that list so they could reach out to people. I know Ryan Reiser was on your team, or excuse me, on your podcast a couple of weeks back. And he and I work together. I'm also licensed to be able to sell what he calls phone-ready leads. So whenever you're doing your outreach, you can talk to seven to 12 people every 50 dials as opposed to the one to two. So that's incumbent upon that founder owner to have those conversations, to test those things out. That way, when you get to stage two, 
you can hand the process, hand the onboarding process to that new hire to make sure they're set up for success. So I, I think that's a really good distinction. Yeah, great. Um, and when we were preparing the, the, the interview, you told me about the 4M. Could you precise us what are the 4M, which are the keys to for a startup to, to, to build their, their, their market and their marketing? Yeah, so these 4Ms, you, could only, you can not only use whenever you're starting up, but throughout the whole entire life cycle of your company. So the 4Ms are this. You, when you're doing your outreach, and I'm going to suggest it's cold outreach, you could also use this for content creation, but let's just focus on outbound right now. So if you're doing cold outreach outbound, there's only four levers that you can pull on to be able to be more effective in that outreach. And those, I call it the four M's. M number one is your market. So identifying that ideal customer profile, and that's going to be geographic, firmographics, uh, meaning how big of the company, how many employees, revenue size, so that geographics, where are they at? Firmographics, what's that company makeup look like? And then from there, you also look at psychographics, and that gets into the psychology and the personas to it. So as part of that ICP, who are the firm of, or excuse me, what are the psychographics of those involved? So that's going to get into buyer titles, their roles, R-O-R-U-L-E-S, that they have to follow and roles that they have to perform. And what's the emotional compelling reason of why they would change their behavior? So that goes all into personas and that's under the market identification. So that's the first M. The second M gets into what is your message to that market? So how are you going to deliver in a pithy, precise way something that's going to engage them into a conversation. So whether that's cold outreach by telephone or email, how are you going to engage them? And that's going to be the message. And then the third M is the medium through which you send that message to the market. And that medium is going to be telephone. So that's where those phone ready leads. So I can only call the people that are going to pick up the phone and go from a two to 5% connect rate to a 15 to 30% connect rate. Or is it email? What's that 25 to 50 word email that I can send to engage that person to reply back? So it's a call to engagement, a CTE, then a call to action, setting up a, a CTA, what we all know about is setting something, a meeting or whatever the case may be. So that gets into the, um, to the medium that we send that message to that market. And then lastly, it goes to your messenger and that's the salesperson. What's that messenger's ability to convey that message through the right medium to the market? And those are really the four levers that you have whenever you're engaging your marketplace. Great. Uh, we are arriving at the end of the podcast. And we, as we can see, you are very structured, uh, very structured in your analysis. Uh, if you, it's a market analysis, if it's a sales people analysis, if you are going to hire, uh, and you also shared with me your motion evaluator, which is very, very structured too. Uh, what what, what you, would you recommend to to someone like me or to a, a startup funder um, to 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 launch their product with, with all your your the, the analysis you have done? All right, so that's an, the easiest question that I could be asked. The biggest thing that you can do is to identify that market. 
And I, I got that wrong. I used to think that your messenger, your salesperson was the most important. And I was wrong on that. And then I thought it was a message. And I got that one wrong too. And then I went to the medium, right? If I can do quantity over quality, that that would make up for it. And that was an expansive lesson as well. So the biggest thing that I can suggest to anyone is your market. Your list is everything. Can I get to those people? the right people and understand why they're going to act, that market is everything. So if you can only focus on one thing, focus on your market, get that right. Great. Thanks a lot. It's a very good tip. This episode of the Virtual Selling Podcast is over. Thanks for sticking around. Join us twice a week for a new episode with new stories and challenge of giants in the field. If you enjoyed today's episode, we are always listening for your feedback. Share the show and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any episode. This episode was brought to you by SalesDeck.io, the virtual selling platform that increases sales team efficiency and sales readiness enable remote management and vamps sales operational excellence. Book your saledeck.io demo today to discover how you can close more deals with engaging and better prepped customer meetings. Thanks a lot, Brian. It was very interesting and we could do a second podcast in, in some few weeks because I'm sure that you have plenty more things to, to share with us. Thanks Bye. a lot. I appreciate you having me on and best of success.